this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. How's it going, Jake? Time for another Whoa. session. Of What's Beat happening, Therapy. Mark? Yeah, we have quickly reached uh, milestone number 20. This is, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on your podcast, um, that's cool. But this is the first session that is on its own channel, the Reef Therapy channel. So me and Mark can better keep track of your questions and comments and feedback. So if you're not subscribed to the Reef therapy youtube channel make sure to do that now so you never miss you know what is arguably one of the most in-depth reef conversations you know pretty much every week agreed and you know if you like to capture us on spotify or apple that's fine too uh yeah we'll be Mm -hmm. there um so man you really got me thinking over the last few discussions um you know, I mean, we text each other here and there in between these uh, sessions, but really we try to save the conversation and let it kind of bubble and queue up, you know, for these moments, right? Because if, we, if we're hashing it out over text or phone calls, then like when we do these, we'd have nothing to talk about. Yeah. Um, but um, so a couple of things, like one was uh, a few episodes back, you, you brought up a really good point about, um, you know, people hiding their imperfections in reef keeping, right? And mm-hmm. so your average hobbyist is like, oh man, I'm dealing with Valonia, Aptasia, I got this, I got that. And it was just good for us all to share that we all struggle, right? Hashtag um, reef reality. There you go. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so on top of that, uh, when you are having problems with some of your corals, right? Um, and then even the flukes issue with uh, your um, centropyi. Oh, man, is it Acanthops? Yes, sir. Uh, um, African flameback angelfish. For those, yeah. Um, but you were like, you know, I'm not okay with this. I need to start figuring this stuff out. So those, all those ideas started to gel together uh, in my brain about, I think another important thing for us maybe to discuss is that this hobby never stops teaching you, and there's always something to learn, and there's always um, – levels of doubt that persist in your mind no matter how many years you've been doing the hobby right um <clears throat> so i thought we would talk about that um partly we could get into things that maybe we're not 100 percent sure about or we question or we're like hmm or even just um you know just having like that sharing some learning experiences i guess would be a good way to put it yeah, no, I got a nice list, but I definitely have to tell you about some of the things that, that happened this week. Oh, we can let's start small talk. Let's let's share some yeah, of our the, ongoings. The, the, the overall conversation. Once we hit the pavement, we're going to be talking about just you know nonstop learning, always learning, and just kind of how all those lessons and or, or all those lessons just fit into a larger narrative. Because I think I have one <laughs> one word that describes all of my learning over the last okay. you know 20 years but um i want to start you know just a little little low-key 
So a lot of people have been asking us for the really fun coral and fish ID cartoon posters. Uh, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, it must have gone like hit a viral strain or something on, on the socials uh, because I've gotten so many messages about it. And we're going to have uh, another print run um, coinciding with uh, a local fish store Saturday, you know, right after Black Friday. Um, so that's going to be a really big campaign. And we're going to make sure those posters are at a lot of fish stores. I know a lot of people have been asking. So this is the one way to get the word out to even more people. Excellent. Um, the, the other thing is, I don't know if you know, but we actually have a sponsor for the show. What? I don't listen. Yeah, we've we've had a sponsor for a few for a few sessions now. I don't, you know, we don't we we do this re therapy, so we know what we said. So I don't listen to it. So if you don't listen to it, you don't know that we have a sponsor, and we're never going to have to talk about it. But because that's just going to be inserted before or in in the the audio stream without our intervention. Um, but yesterday, I went to ICP Analysis, which is our is a sponsor of Reef Therapy. <laughs> so surprised. <laughs> but anyway, they're, they, um, it's run by Steve Visser, and he's here in Denver, Colorado, like 15 minutes away. And he's one of the companies that has been offering um, ICP analysis ser- as a service to test your aquarium water. So I went there over there yesterday. And first of all, man, he's got, um, he's got the uh, Apoma Labs blue phantom angelfish that looks like one of those crazy half striped half spotted um blue lines from that you see sometimes in pictures from taiwan uh, i see it in person i was like what the heck so this is a captive bred hybrid between a blue line angelfish and the black phantom angelfish which is all black blue lines all blue lines and Oh my God, that fish is turning out awesome. I've seen a few and they're just kind of like bluish gray towards the front of their mostly black body, but those lines are developing to something really, really special. That was awesome. That's great. I I wanted to get pick up one of their fish and they were, well, the ones that weren't sold out were the ones I could not afford, but... <laughs> Um, they, there's, there's that. He also had a blue line and two conspics in a, in a separate tank, but the blue phantom, oh my Lord. I think Rob Bouget, I got a couple snapshots with my phone. I wouldn't say I got any photographs, you know, mm-hmm. that are worthy of sharing, but I was there to talk to him just about kind of the new direction that he's taking. And, uh, I just want to touch on this, not for the sponsor part, but just mm-hmm. for the hobbyist. So every, pretty much every, um, inductively coupled plasma ICP uh, testing service uses um, uh, optical emission spectrography, spectrometry. God, I always screwed that one up. ICP OES. They all use ICP OS. That's, that's what's been commonly available. So he offers that, but he's in addition to that, he's offering a new service as ICP mass. So, it's um, I, ICP mass spectrography, <laughs> spectro- spectrography, God, spectrography. Oh my God, this is so hard to say. But anyway, it just offers like uh, two orders of magnitudes more sensitivity to all the trace elements. So it's more precise and more accurate down to those levels that you know we're looking for. It's going to be a little bit more expensive. But man, really excited to get all my tests you know, put together and queued up. And he's got an app. Um, that makes it just so freaking easy to just scan a, a QR code and, um, 
you know, I'm just really lucky that he's local and a sponsor that I'm going to be able to just like rain test samples on him and really like dig into some of these trace elements and what they need to be at and how my corals respond to just tiny, tiniest bumps of zinc and tiny little injections of iron and, you know, lots of esoteric elements. So kind of really excited to, to start really being able to do that with a fast turnaround time. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I was, um, I was kind of going down that lane myself actually about uh, starting to bring back some ICP testing, um, but that sort of goes into some of the discussions for later of like just observations and how one I've had some skepticism about food right feeding corals, but the other mm-hmm. piece that I was not skeptical about, but it was just like there's not a lot of like fruity knowledge about different elements, right? I mean, you hear, oh, potassium helps the blues and this and that, but it's like, there's, there's nothing really Does it big. really? Yeah, there's not Does enough for really? me to chew on there, right? But there's, there's no meat on the bone. Every time yeah. some, one of these things comes up, and I've done a bunch of these ICP tests with a lot of different you know, service providers, and then you, you reach out to them and you get like this crazy, usually weird non-answer, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're like, oh, it needs to be at this because of seawater levels. And I'm just like, but does it really? Like, I don't know. Just demonstrate this because the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll go to Google Scholar, type in, you know, coral or color or health, and then the element and nothing really comes back. So it hasn't really been dug into. And so you've seen, uh, you know, some anecdotal dota reports. I think that there's um, more barium or boron in, in coral reefs or in, in marine areas that have a lot of trichophilias. But that's just one person saying it. I'm like, all right, well, let's let's get a, let's get more data. Yeah. Um, um, so another thing is, I finally got myself some abalones, some more abalones. Are those the did ones you, from I, Unique Corals? Yes. Yeah. You saw my big abalones when you were here. Yeah. Yeah. A month ago. So yeah, I've wanted to add more to all the tanks for like a really freaking long time. So I just kept, you know, like going up the flagpole, but like, hey. Send some, send some abalones to, towards America. And then Bali Aquarium got some. And then he sent some to Unique Corals. And I got 10 of them today. And it's super interesting because the three that I have are uh, Ass Ear Abalone. That's what they're called. Ass Ear Abalone. Haliotis Asanina. And the ones that I got today, I got 10 of them. They're a hybrid. Two, a hybrid between two you know, tropical species. Um, Asanina and Squamata. And there is no pictures of what these things are supposed to look like when they are, you know, of the hybrids. I'm like, oh my God, are they going to have hybrid vigor and grow even bigger than the assier anemone? Um, not, not super sure, but I'm just super excited to get some more. And so now I was able to like, so, you know, actually spread them around. So I don't want just to have the three in the coral flats. Now I have two, uh, uh, two of them in three different tanks and then I added two more pairs to some of the coral flats that have the most light and I'm just I'm just super tickled to finally get some more because they're just they're awesome animals super hardy very big graze algae like freaking crazy like I I, I, I couldn't point to any hair algae to any of my tanks that have the abalones in them I'm not saying they're going to solve all your problems but once you have things in, in check they will do a lot of work I, w- I went to I saw your um I saw the article on reef builders and went to unique corals to look for them, but I didn't see them available either yet, or I missed the boat, which I normally do because I'm always late um, to the party. I think <laughs> when I shared that article, they hadn't been posted up for sale yet. Oh, okay. so I just got them today. So if you want them, get on, jump on that. 
well, this this doesn't show up on YouTube till tomorrow, right? So I got mm-hmm. I got a minute or two. <laughs> yeah, I got a little bit of head start. Um, yeah, and go ahead. How's no, your angelfish doing? How's your better. angelfish doing? Better, better. Yeah. Oh yes, good. So yeah, just to, uh, oh, go ahead. I reached out to some experts, and they had the very non-constructive feedback as, "Hey, don't feed them that food anymore." <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so for I guess those listening. Um, so I got, uh, a, you know, from TSM, I got a regal angel and I got a swallowtail angel and they were just, they showed up when like within minutes of arriving, they were eating pellets and everything I threw at them. And I think I got a little overzealous and excited about that. So every day I was feeding them heavily. Part of it too was, um, just, you know, they, they've been in shipment, you know, get them acclimated, get, give food to everybody, you know, reduce aggression, blah, blah, blah. And it was interesting because the one thing I hadn't fed to the tank was flake food. And I've got some marine flake foods, and I won't mention the manufacturer because I don't want to run them through the mud. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's their fault, right? That this food has been good for me in other cases. But interestingly enough, uh, after I fed the flake food, the, both the new angels had distended bellies and, uh, mm-hmm. they stopped eating. And, they got that um, bloat. Yeah. And then, you know, you start Googling and it's the typical freshwater goldfish advice of feed them peas, add, uh, add Epsom salt to the tank. And I'm like, well, okay, magnesium is one of the most abundant elements in seawater. So yep. that's, that ain't yep. going to help. And an angel that's not eating ain't going to eat peas. You know, anything. it's not eating anything. <clears throat> so, um, so I just kind of waited it out and I just hoped for the best. And then this morning I threw in some food and they ate and I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> oh man, I'm so happy for you because yeah. it's funny because what you're saying ties right back into my overarching thoughts of always learning. I lost a, a black phantom angelfish, you know, I had the, one of the first pairs. Um, I, I just got a little happy with some pellets one night, you know, and... It's just it's it's crazy how easy it can happen. Yeah. Just got a little overzealous with the with the pellets. He looked a little bloated, looked amazing and fine and super healthy. Didn't eat for two weeks and then that was that was that was a bummer, man. I really missed that fish. That fish was oh, so freaking was, cool. I was I mean You were nervous, right? Yeah, and it was funny because last week when we did the re-therapy and I brought up this great fish that I got. I remember ending that session going, well, now the fish is going to die, right? Like, Because I, <laughs> I talked about it. Like I have this weird superstition that if you name a fish or, you know, you talk about, oh, I got this awesome new coral, new fish, like next day that thing's dead, right? Dude, I have the same one here. <laughs> my my wife and, you know, a helper, I'm just like, don't talk about it too much. Don't look at it directly. It'll know and then it'll die. It's just it's just one of those weird superstitions. Um but man, my corals are looking so good. Like even compared to when you were here, I, I think I've just been very careful about bringing up my nutrients. And at night, you know, I, I get every couple of weeks or something, I'll shine a flashlight on the acros at night just to gauge how much their polyp extension is. And last night, it looked like a soft coral tank in there. Dang. Oh my God. I mean, corals that are three inches apart, their polyps are so far out that they're almost touching. It was insane. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on here? It was, it was, it's a really good time to, to enjoy these reef tanks here at the studio. Um, you got to savor the good times, right? Because inevitably at some point there'll be something. But, you know, when it's coasting and going well, you really got to enjoy it. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I, I, I'm there right now. 
oh god, I'm really trying not to get ahead of myself on the overall conversation because I, I still have a couple <laughs> couple things, but everything ties back into this one overarching thing for the lessons. Um, so I've been asking some some reefers what books they have. Because, you know, we spend a lot of money on our corals and our fish and our equipment and putting stuff together. And do you know what they tell me? Hmm. They don't have any books. Yeah. That I, and New, newer reefers and current reefers have zero books. They don't even say, oh, I have one or two of these or I have a couple of them. Like some of them do, you know, but I doubt they're like cracking them open. But most of them are just like, I don't really have any books. I, you know, I got a couple of coral magazines or whatever. And, but yeah, pretty much get all my information online. I'm like, how can you not have a starting point of reference to judge everything that you're being told or, you know, that everybody's telling you? Because if you just do online, you're listening to an echo of an echo of an echo from somebody's idea 12 years ago that didn't pan out. <laughs> and it's just like really startling because I'm over here, you know, a few times a week. I, d I jump over here to, the, to, to just research one quite quick little fact, just a fact check myself and others. And I, I don't know what I would do without the library as far as like really having that firm, you know, reference frame. I know you got a ton of books. I do. And I would, the one thing I would say is um, I can't really blame those people that don't have the books because when people have asked me for recommendations, all these books are out of print, right? I mean, you can find oh, used no, copies no, no. on Amazon, but so much of it's out of print. Oh, that's the golden. This is, this is the golden era of book collecting, bro. These books that we looked, that we craved after when we were younger, that were like 60, 75, 80, $200. They're now like five to $15 shit oh, on yeah. Amazon or eBay. You don't need a new book. You're going to bend the, the pages anyway. You're not collecting books. You just want some information. There's, I know they're out of print. You're probably not going to get them through, you know, typical channels, but we, we all buy from eBay and Amazon and it is so cheap. A hundred bucks will get oh, you like for seven, sure. seven or eight great books. I, give me one second. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep it going here while, while Mark is going. Um, but I want to, Ask the viewers if you guys would be interested for Mark and I to start up a book club, like a book of the month club. So while you while you got up, I just said, hey, we should do a book club. I'm maybe good. once a month just discuss even like the oldest books. You don't have to read it cover to cover, just like some general feedback. Um, you know, some books that I've gotten recently was Wayne Shang's Captive Marine Aquariums. That's oh, on that's the way. A good one. Yeah, that's really old school. Um, another one is um, The Most Beautiful Aquariums of the World by Fossa and Nilsson, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying. It's funny because like they might not have like any information that you can apply today, but having some of those reference points for how people did it back then and how we do it now helps you appreciate either going back to the old ways or how much technology we have today. So what book well, did you grab? Okay. So it was funny because um, we were discussing the history of reef keeping and I was like, I don't know if you're right about those dates. And so I went and looked up the book and you were right. So, <laughs> but, uh, um, Peter Wilkins. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Stony, mm -hmm. stony corals. Right. And I was like, ah, oh, shoot 92. Shoot. All right. You know? And then you start <laughs> talking about, uh, apistos and I was like, oh man, does Jake have this book? I had it when I was younger. Okay. And I had a copy and I think 
I lost it. And by the time it came to replace it, it was kind of over. It was past, you know, yeah. just kind of expired. But that series from Tetra was really freaking oh, good. Yeah. These Tetra books were awesome. But, you know, we talk a lot about the Instagram culture and the perfect tanks and, you know, everything's glowing in the dark. But to me, this is like the escape to that, right? Like oh, you, yes. at night, you know, you just pull out, well, this isn't a book about freshwater cichlids, but, and you, it's like sciency, and there's these awesome old pictures of tanks and they discuss like how a protein skimmer actually works. And you're like, and it, it's a true like escape and a different lens on the hobby that, that to me keeps me sane sometimes when I pull these books out after seeing, you know, these fruit stand frag displays it's, it's on part of my overall therapy, yeah. just knowledge and wisdom. So, you know, hit us up in the comments and let us know if you, you know, you would like us to talk about one book once a month and then just kind of share with you some of the books that we must have in your collection. So that's, this book, I know we could, this we, is could the we could talk about books for a long time. Right? Like he's, he's up know, there. He's I mean, definitely up there. Wasn't he the guy that popularized Kalkwasser? But anyway. Oh my God. Could you imagine being the guy who, who the started guy. Kalkwasser dripping and dosing to a tank? I think he'd be upset with how people are doing it today. Oh yeah, but that <laughs> book like, was like you are not doing dollars it, right? on Amazon used, right? I mean, it's like nobody Team? wants, yeah. And oh it's my like, god, it's yeah. one of the original books on reef keeping. I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. yeah, it's you're not gonna like you know wake up tomorrow after reading and be like, oh, I'm gonna make all these changes to my reef tank, but it's just great. It'll get your gear spinning. Yeah, it'll get your gears turning and give some context to what you're doing or not doing. Yeah. So, and I, I guess for the podcast listeners, I was referencing a uh, the stony coral mushroom and colonial anemones by Peter Wilkins, and then uh, Tetra had a really great book on dwarf cichlids, and you know we were mm -hmm. talking about episodes the other day. But um, I guess we should dive in a little bit because uh, we're kind of going oh. there anyway. Oh, oh you got so one you more, I think. I one got more. one more. A few yeah, more. All I, right. I, I, no, just one do more. It. No, let's do I, it. I think I, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, just talk about some of my initial thoughts on the Neptune Systems skylight. All right. Ooh. That's that's like a. I may need another beer for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some qualitative things that are really neither here or there that's just depending on what you like you know the super flat look and one thing i can say is like i have no suggestions for the color like the spectrum is is on point i you know when having taken it apart putting it over tank and using it i just can't help but feel that my overall impression with it is that this should be a six to six hundred and fifty dollar light if this was a six to six hundred and fifty dollar light, I'd be like, "Boom! There you go. That's it. They nailed it. They just they just nailed it out of the park." I feel like the eight hundred and sixty nine dollar price tag was just arbitrarily selected, not on the materials, but just because they think they can jostle themselves between a Radeon Gen Five Pro and AP Nine X, and that's just not the case. It's just it's just not there, you know, in terms of the. The, the premium factor, right? 869, that's a flagship light. Once you get all your hanging mounts, you know, you're talking about a thousand dollar light fixture. And it just, it's just not there. If this was a six to $650 light, boom, man, I think I could recommend this a, a lot, lot more. And that's like, that's the, 
I mean, I, I'm going to be saying more. You know, we got the video on the AP9X uh, compared to the Sky, you know, a spotlight fixture versus a total flat panel fixture. And it's got a lot of idiosyncrasies, which, you know, you can live with or, or reject. You know, that's really up to the personal user. For sure, it's going to grow corals. For sure, it's going to be fine. But just the, the overall feel of it is it just does not deserving to, to stand shoulder to shoulder with real flagship lights like the AP9X and the Radeon Gen 5 XR30. You know, I mean, you take that same amount of money and you buy yourself two um, Kessel A360XDXs or two, especially two uh, Radeon XR15s. Do two XR15s or run circles around, uh, you know, a sky for about the same price. It's like, it's not even, it's like night and day, not even a comparison. They're not even like the AP9X and the uh, Sky. They were both pretty well suited for roughly a 24 by 36 inch tank. Cool. I don't, don't think there's not really any debate there, but if you got two XR15s instead of the Sky, you're talking about 24 by 48 or 30 by 48 or 36 by 48. You know, you can light so much more up with with the smaller Radeon than you can with the single sky. And that's why I feel like there'd be a lot less room for criticism. If the fixture was about 200 to $250 less, <laughs> you're quiet. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to come off because I, I don't have as much experience for you. To, I mean, like here, here's a full confession. I've never run an Ecotech light. I love their lights. I think they're an amazing company. Actually you do. I don't. I do. Well, you have, because you used to have Hydras. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, they own. <laughs> but I, I mean, I've never had a Radeon, I guess, is, is, is what I'm saying. But, you know, I, I know plenty of people that have had them. Um, so I, I don't have as much exposure. But um, the one thing for me that always, uh, you know, I always thought the ATI Sun Power back in the T5 days was kind of like a leveler, right? Because um, you had all these premium lights, right? And the sun power wasn't overly expensive. It wasn't cheap, but it was kind of like, it kind of hovered below. In terms of an 8 by 80 watt sun power could light up a 72 inch tank and I mean, bathe it in SBS coral just light totally everywhere. Saturate the in every corner of the tank with light. Yeah, and that fixture costs as much as a single Radeon less, I think. Less than a single Radeon XR30 or the new Sky or, you know, even Okay. And so and you come been, with bulbs and you have to replace the bulbs yeah, and your light intensity the cost, falls over time. And depending on the model you got, you may or may not have gotten um, you know, some kind of controllability, definitely no dimming. But True. yeah, so, so you, but you it was sort of like the, it was like a workhorse light that you could recommend to everybody that was relatively af affordable. And so to your point, if they had come in with like the ATI sun power of LEDs, right? Like something that mm -hmm. was a couple hundred below their competitors that lit up the tank like it did. Yeah. To me, it, yeah, it'd be kind of like an end of story. Like you, you couldn't nitpick it the way people are nitpicking it, it on the forums right now. If it was $200 less with six to eight channels of color control, some actual water resistance, 
you know, because all the electronics LEDs are exposed. And I don't want to go dive into that, but if it had the, that durability yeah. and it had the controllability from a controller company, I mean, like, what? <laughs> Four channels of color control? Um, and they'll spin it in every kind of way, but it's just like, yeah, if that light was six to $650, it would be that ATI sunlight you're talking about for sure. Yeah, like and I was trying, trying to, to find like a good analogy or metaphor, but like just like that workhorse light, you could recommend to everybody, right? Just, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed okay. it with this, the ATI Sun Power. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's probably reaching back beyond some of the his, you know the experience of some some reefers, but that fixture was, uh, yeah, you weren't going to get in trouble with that fixture. No, and it wasn't a complicated light either, right? I mean, it was like folded aluminum with a plexiglass. I mean, it wasn't. I hated mine because the fans always had to be replaced, but they weren't too hard to replace. Uh, I, I don't like the flat look, but it was always hard for my brain as an old timer to go, okay, so you want me to replace a light that was less than $800? And somebody's going to call me out. I may have that wrong, but I think my light, my my sun power was 800 bucks, and it lit a 225-gallon tank that was six feet long and more than two feet wide. Um, but now I got to like buy three lights that cost as much as that fixture, right? For me, yes, bulb replacements, all that. I had a hard time with that. And the prices on these lights keep staying high. Um, when the Hydra 32s or 26s came out and also the XR 15s, my humble opinion was like, you could probably get away with like three of those. Right. And so now the price starts to get a little more reasonable. Um, we're, on, we're on a starting tank to of dip into to like the overarching topic that we're going to have yeah. here in a little bit. Sorry, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't want. I don't want to make this all about the sky, but that's just kind of my, uh, you know, my general opinion. Um, there's some. I haven't be seen it in person, so I, I'm trying to be relatively it's, quiet about it. You know, it's it's fine. Like the color is awesome. I'll, I'll I'll give it that. Controllability is average because it, four colors, uh, four channels of color control. Um, so because they have the blues on one channel and then like the kind of purples or like indigo and UV on one channel, I like that firmly middle of the road. I like that deeper blue look. It's almost purple, but not fully purple. Mm -hmm. So with this light, you can't do that. Either it's like all blues on, or it's like really blue or like really purple, but you can't get that deep blue, that more Royal blue that I've always really, really loved. I think that's enough on this guy. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll come back up in um, conversation, but that light needs to be about 600 bucks. And then I can really recommend it. It would be the leveler that you're talking about, like the ATI Sun Power. I do think, I mean, I'll say this as a personal opinion. I do think people are nitpicking a little too hard on it. Um, but, you know, I, I also know that like from a, a customer representation or PR perspective, you just got to roll with those punches a little bit too, right? And just say, okay, well, here's why we do this. Here's why we do You that. want a lot and of attention. You should expect a lot of right. criticism, a right. lot of scrutiny, you know, uh, the, so the, uh, the other qualitative thing that I'll say about it is, you know, after I had it on there for two or three days, cause we put it up there last week, I kept running over to the tank to make sure the pumps were on. And they were, and the corals were moving, but there was zero shimmer. And it's like really striking nowadays. What if those little shims things, they don't do anything. <laughs> they don't do anything. And the fact that they're like replaceable with like a more opaque version, I'm like just laughing. Those, the, 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 
the lack of dynamic quality of the light field is something that's jarring for people who've been using LEDs for 10 years, um, especially since it's surrounded. You know, on one side, I got the Hydra 64s. On the other side, I got the uh, Radionics R15 Gen 5 Pro. And it just looks uh, it just looks different. You know, I'm sure the corals will love it. I'm sure it'll look fine. The color is amazing. But the other weird thing that I don't know if anybody said yet, but everybody who's seen it, you know, over the last week, is something about that diffuser makes the water look a little cloudy. And it's on really? a system with a bunch of stuff. I mean, just like 5% more, right? The tank's next to it, crystal clear. The tank itself, you're like, I don't know if it's like this general glow that's happening because of the diffusing that's happening. Um, but yeah, it's not awesome in presentation. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know that that's been said yet, but I think it, I'm sure it'll bubble up when people will start looking at them. You're like, we saw them. We saw them at, um, at the uh, Aquashella and Reef Palooza and, you know, just like chalk it up to, um, chalk it up to like a brand new tank being set up. Okay. It looks a little bit cloudy, but you know, tanks been set up for like, 24 hours no problem but having it set up on a system that's established with you know perfect corals all up in it next side to side you're like huh it's got a little cloudy quality and for sure it's throwing more light on the front glass and i have to clean a glass on that thing twice as often yeah everybody was touting the t5ness of it and i was i mean i I just you know i'll give it that well and i mean i just called the sun power like the the workhorse right but i abandoned that light and I was stuck between a rock and a hard place because I I felt like LED lights were very expensive for a while. So I switched to T5s, but I hated the dull, flat look. So then I threw my halides, ba- halides back on, and it you know it's just the cooking factor of just the heat and everything. And I was like, yeah. So I was, and eventually, like that led me to, you know what? All right, I'll spend the cash and I'll go LED because it was like the perfect solution where I got the metal halide glimmer. But I had, you know, kind of the 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 cooler, less intense electricity and all that of the T5s a bit. And so I felt happy, you know, despite the sticker shock. So when somebody is like, oh, these are T5-like, I was like, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to ever buy these lights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because They're I'm not a T5-like. T5 guy. Except you know? one of the biggest benefits of T5s is ultraviolet light, right? Yeah. A, a fluorescent lamp with no phosphors is a purely UV lamp. Right, so your UV light that you get for your UV sterilizer is a fluorescent lamp with no phosphors, right? And so the thing is, um, there's UV LEDs in there. They're not like broad spectrum UVs, very narrow angle. Um, I'm sorry, narrow spectrum. So I think they're probably going to peak around 400 to 395 nanometers. But uh, once again, they've got the light mixing chamber and they've got the diffuser, and you know. It's up to them to demonstrate that UV is actually getting through. <laughs> Otherwise, those UV LEDs aren't doing anything. They're just they're just giving you like a tiny, tiny shade of purple. But anyway, I think that's enough on the skylight. I think that's enough uh, for them. I think we we have a really cool topic um, as far as like the the main guts of this conversation, and it's uh, it's about always learning. And just that's, 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 that's the cool thing about reef tanks. Um, there's some lessons you, you have to learn, but there's a lot of lessons you don't have to learn. And I feel like, um, the modern reefer who's, you know, kind of relatively new to it is making a lot of mistakes that are covered in all these books. What do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like, uh, 
It's like learning guitar, right? Everybody wants to learn that cool solo in that one song, and it's like, mm, yep, you, you got to go get the basics first, right? You gotta, you gotta learn yeah. how to do, you know, and and you know, it's not like you have to stairway understand. to heaven. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta go straight to stairway to heaven. <laughs> no, but it, and you don't have to know music theory, right? It's kind of like you don't need to know chemistry all like super deep organic chem or something like that to be a reef keeper. But you, you, it's like there's. I don't know. There's something to be said for like a whole chapter explaining how a protein skimmer, like what it's doing, you know, or, or, um, understanding, you know, the bacterial processes or just, and just even reading these books with like the questions that these people had when they wrote them. And, you know, I don't know that, that that's, there's a lot to it like that. There's like a foundation that you can't get from a forum, right? Um, Yes, absolutely, man. I'm I'm totally there with you. You need a framework to hang these ideas on. If you have no framework, no foundation, and you just take in all these ideas, you don't know just a few basic chords, like if you're playing guitar or how to tune your guitar, you can't start freaking hanging these ideas and, and putting them in context with the bigger picture. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I started like talking about the books. I started asking people, you know, how many books do you have? And that figure I was shocked that that was the wrong question. The question was, do you have any books? Yeah, but and and I mean, you're absolutely right. Right now you can get these books for a steal because they're, um, you know, they're oh, used yeah. and out of print. But I also get that they're not in people's faces anymore. So so like a person isn't naturally going to be like, oh, I should go get a book on that. Right. Like and, and we're all used to learning things on YouTube now. Right. Like, oh. How do I fix my AC? I'm going to go to YouTube, right? I'm not going to go buy a uh, yeah, book no, at Home I'm right Depot. There. I, uh, <laughs> you know? I, I did that about a month ago, you know? Yeah. I just pulled up a video real quick and went out to my AC and started working on it. But that's also yep. based off, you know, experience of kind of being handy with the aquariums. True. Um, um, but so we were talking about lighting, right? And so one, I'm going to dive right in, like one that has me kind of just all over the place where I felt like I had a pretty strong opinion on it. But I'm now starting to question that opinion as par. Um, All right. So before we get ahead, I feel like I have an overarching bucket of basically all most of my lessons in the reef aquarium hobby. Okay. You know, once you once you master all the fundamentals or whatever, you know, salinity, chemistry, and 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 the the physics of the aquarium, I feel like virtually 95% of the problems that can't be attributed to, you know, acts of gods or freaks of nature or pests and disease is overshooting and overcompensating. Mm. So would that be like an example of like rushing in to fix something or like everything? All right. I mean, I'll just, I'll just throw them all out there. Yeah. When we were trying to learn this brief thing as a community, it was just like, I need my license. I need more light. I need more light. I need more light. I need brighter lights. And then we just very recently realizing, Hey, you know, all these really colorful LPS corals and shrooms and zoanthids that we love to keep. They don't want that much light. You know, this is what I was going to say about par. I know, yeah, I, I know, but you can still say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I just wanted to give it again a framework and yeah. a context. Um, how about ultra low nutrient systems? Our entire, you know, 
youth were just like, oh, no phosphates, no nitrates. You just got to do everything you can to yeah. keep everything as low as possible. And then, you know, these ULNS tanks came out and you're like, oh, it's not possible to have ultra low nutrients. And then these tools came out from HANA that I was able to measure my nitrates and phosphates on multiple systems that I was feeding okay. And corals were doing fine. It was like 0, 0.00 for almost all the tanks. <laughs> yeah. Overshot all the nutrients. Um, uh, gear. Everybody's like, oh, if, you know, if a couple pumps is better, let me get more pumps, you know, but having more pumps leaves some more point of points of failure. And then, you know, you spend more time just futzing with like stupid equipment errors than actually managing your aquarium water flow. That's you know, a good one. If, actually, yeah. if, if a little bit of data is good, like from doing a few tests yourself, then ICP data with the whole freaking periodic table of your aquarium, that must be better. No, it's not. It's confusing and it just distracts you from everything you're supposed to do. Okay, you get a little excited about dosing trace elements or or feeding your tank. I, I have been guilty of overshooting everything. Nutrients, <laughs> trace elements, iodide, flow, light, you know, just almost everything. I feel like almost every lesson that I'm still learning is about you, you get so excited. Like, you know, when you get some, some new food or some new additive or some new coral, you just want to baby it. Like your, you got like your angelfish. Like, Oh, he's eating flake food. Let me just give him a little bit more. Let me just give him a little, little bit more, more. And a little more. And, yeah. and then next thing you know, I'm like, Oh crap, what's happening? You know, and you, you will just, this fat and swim you around. will never get into trouble. Yeah. By going slower, yeah, you will never get into trouble by just going. You, I, I, I'm the same freaking way. My corals are super excited, super happy. All right, let me feed them a bunch of food. You know, almost every night for like two weeks. Yeah, the corals got a bunch of polyps, and, and then they're super juicy. And next thing I know, I got a lot of lot of detritus that's starting to lead to some weird bacterial issues. You know, I could just go on and on and on and on, and I feel like. You know, that's, that's kind of the state of play with, you know, contemporary reef tanks where people just have just this weird, like, control room of gadgets and gizmos. Each one of them is doing probably more harm than good. All right. Here's a perfect example. And I'm, I'm going to hand it over, but I've, I've no, been thinking no, about I this for a minute. I'm loving Here's it. a perfect example. There's so many things that the vendors in their aquarium hobby will sell you because they won't hurt your tank. You know, more rock. Yeah, sure. Fine. Of course. More is better, right? More sand, deep sand bed. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Uh, more cleanup crew. What are you going to do? You're going to come back at me and tell me you have too little algae and your cleanup crew is dying. No, no, no retailer is going to do that or say that. Um, funky nozzles for your return flow. Ooh, it does this and that. It's not broken. It can't really break. It might debatably make your flow worse especially if you have a bunch of pumps working against each other instead of just having a fewer pumps working together. Um, but I think the, 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 <laughs> the pinnacle example is seeing established reef tanks where people all of a sudden started to add a bunch of these biomedia options, you know, um, from MaxSpec, from eShops and others. And I'm just like, your reef tank is already established. You don't need more biomedia. You're, you're yeah. past the nitrogen cycle. What are you doing? That is one of the worst examples. Like if you, you, you just don't need biomedia on a reef tank. Your, your entire tank is the surface area, your corals, your rocks. But adding a, you know, big stacks of biomedia in your sump is Have actually counterproductive. Have you seen the guys that um, 
and this has been going on for before all of the media was available, they build like these egg crate cages and perfectly stack, is it spiro racks or spiro, what is it? The, the zipper racks. Zipper racks. Zipper racks. Sorry, yeah. yeah. And perfectly stack them and you're like, wow, like that's that's some Lego stuff right there. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not harping on them, but it was just like, I just, I mean, like halfway through stacking those things, I'd be like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, is this yeah. really helping? But um, no, but you're absolutely right. Um, so before we started doing this podcast, right, um, that was kind of a big thing for me because you know me, like I kind of disappear every once in a while uh, where you and I will be chatting, 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 and then I disappear off the face of the earth because my work life gets so busy. Um and and that just happens every year. And then like when I come back up for air, I check in with you. I think that's why I've been so successful at reef keeping because my life gets in the way of me fiddling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and doing that. And then when like all of a sudden I got all the time in the world to fiddle with my tank, I start doing stupid stuff. Um, yeah. Overdoing it, overshooting yeah. every possible thing. I, I And I have to stop myself, right? Because... Um, uh, is it Malev? Like he's doing like a daily what's going on with his tank. And, uh, I've been watching it and then all of a sudden, you know, his salt mix, the potassium was too low and he thinks that that might've been the issue. And then I was like, I need to check my potassium, you know, and it's like, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with my tank, but right, I felt like right, I had to suddenly right. go check my potassium. And I was like, I had to mentally be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're yes. fine. You know, you know, like every lesson as far as too much light or, or too aggressive nutrient removal or just overshooting food or dosing is it's all overshooting it every issue that i've had at the studio i've relearned every lesson at the studio i'm very thankful for i feel like i'm after 20 plus years of reef keeping i'm finally ready to write a book (laughs) you know especially we're talking about books i'm finally ready but i'm just like yeah, every problem I've ever had is me just getting excited about this one new trick. There's one new thing and just overdoing it. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, um, that's, that's sort of where I've been, where be, like I said in the intro, um, you kind of got me thinking about this because, you know, I have these strong opinions about things, but then I'm like, you know, in, in just passive comments in some of our re-therapy sessions, I'm like, man, for some reason now I struggle to keep mushrooms alive, right? Uh, you know, so the blue ones do great, but the red ones don't. And then I'm just like, okay, whatever, you know? And then I think about um, Micromusa and like some of those, right? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I've always kind of had, they, they've been hit or miss with me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I keep trucking, right? And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, when you said I'm not okay uh, with just being okay with this, right? I was like, mm-hmm. and you were talking about, um, you know, the, the the some of the mysterious things that were going on with your hammer curls. I was like, well, yeah, like what what's going on there? Like why? Like why why do I struggle with corals that I used to keep easily, right? And so that's where, um, I mean, we were talking about lighting for uh, earlier. It's like I having scuba dived and snorkeled in some not as many places as you have but i've seen you know leather corals growing in like two feet of water next to acros next to acros right and so (laughs) i'd watch these videos on youtube and they're like well sps they like 250 or higher par and if you're keeping you know softies and lps you want to shoot for 50 to 150 and i was like 
man, whatever. Like they all grow under the same sun in the same shallow water. And that held true for like my leather corals, right? Mm -hmm. And in my soft coral tank, quote unquote, my SBS, the few that I have grow bonkers and my leather corals grow bonkers. But then I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's something to those par recommendations, right? Because I just recently stumbled upon an amazing uh, picture of like some rhodactus, right? And somebody happened to ask the person like, Where, what's your par at? And the guy's like 50. And I was like, hmm, all right. You know, because I'm in the 200, the 300s in my tank and my leather corals and my sinularia, they love it, right? And my SBS, they love it. But hey, maybe that's why I suck at keeping discosomas, except for the blue ones, because maybe the blue ones in terms of phosphorescent, have the right sunscreen, right? If you think about it, all that par is in the blue spectrum. So the coral that's reflecting the blue light and looking blue to me is probably adapted to that shallow environment. But some of those reds and stuff, maybe not. Um, and so I was like, well, crap, maybe I, there's something for me to learn here, right? So that, Yeah, I mean, so when you were here, I was, you know, in the, the just earlier stages had been actually you know, actively dosing nitrates, potassium nitrates to my tanks. So that's why, you know, when the Melev stuff was happening, I was just like, I know I got potassium because I'm adding potassium nitrate. I'm like, I don't even need to worry about it. There's, it's just, but instinctively I'm like, oh, more is better. I have a five gallon bucket of potassium chloride. I could just go dose the tank, hit the tanks real quick. And then I had to stop myself and be like, no, I've been dosing potassium nitrate. I know I got potassium. I've no potassium has never been on my radar. It's never been a problem. It's fine. It was just a freak. Well, occurrence. I'll tell you my OCD brain was, uh, cause you and I talked about dosing potassium nitrate and I, I'm in the same problem. My nitrates bottom out like crazy. I mean, my new tank, the nitrates are zero, even though I've been feeding my uh, angel like I'm trying to make him grow three inches in three days, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I remember you and I talking, I'm like, man, I when I started dosing potassium nitrate, like my LPS corals, the tissue was just very expanded and like just, just they were just luscious, right? And so it then was I'm a like- more direct path than actually feeding them because when I had the super low nutrients, like, I mean, 0 0.00 phosphate, 0 0.00 nitrate, I would feed my LPS. I would feed my anemones. They didn't care. They needed yeah. it in the water. And it, I don't know, something about it doesn't make sense, but I can tell you from several tanks and several different groups of corals, they would need that nitrate in the water, which is weird because they don't have it in the ocean. So I, don't, I, don't, well, I don't know how so you square those two things up. This whole Malev thing made me go, well, I, I gave all the street cred to the nitrate, but was it the potassium? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that's how my brain works, right? I start to like go, huh? Anyway. Um, well, I got a bunch of ICB tests, you know, sent off. So I, I should be able to dig deeper into that data. But I, I feel like our right, uh, tank crashes, you know, they're the culmination of a series of, of bad or poor decisions you know it's it's a lot of overcompensation when people come to the studio rarely and and check things out i i like to point out what they can't see you don't see just all this crazy media reactors and and uh, turf scrubbers and refugiums every sump is empty save for a return pump skimmer calc reactor heater that's it that's all you need like all this other stuff if you're not getting the fundamentals down, the other stuff is not going to help. It's not going to make the diff, make up the difference because you're not, you know, 
doing ABC XYZ is not going to fill that gap. Well, and that that's something that I am opinionated about is the diminishing returns of squeezing oh, yes. all this technology, right? And that's where, I mean, the, we talked about lighting and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I guess if you want to grow t- acros in every nook and cranny of your tank, um, a T5-like light, whether it be LED or T5s, is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, uh, having a calc reactor on top of your calcium reactor, and I just recently saw a tank that had those as well as was dosing on top of all three. And then I'm going to add a CO2 scrubber, and I'm going to do this and that. And I, I look at it like, well, your tank, you've made so many compromises to the overall aesthetic of the tank itself. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? I mean, how much more color and growth and beauty in your reef are you really squeezing out with all those little additions? And would somebody that comes and hangs out and has a beer at your house even notice, or is he going to notice the massive science project around it, right? Right. And to your, your point- coral, Your yeah. corals will do infinitely well at, you know, in, a, in an aquarium environment that has- the the fundamentals you know on lock as far as temperature nutrients and and mineral balance at at a ph of 8.0 then it will at an eight a ph of 8.4 where you have some shortcomings of all the basics forget about if, all those crazy what trace if all elements. those things fail right you've created all these failure points like that, oh yeah, my calc reactor one. wasn't refilled so my ph dropped or you know, you, you could go down the list, right? Like you add these cascade more reactions. Yeah. Abso- absolutely. And that's the more other thing. More dials is- that can change, right? Like everything's just more chaotic. And, mm-hmm. and like Ollie, right? The, your buddy who I've never met him in person. I've chatted with him online. But like look at his tanks. Like look at that video that you, you posted years ago. Well, that right? tank's still going. Yeah. That tank's still going with the exact same stuff, the exact same light, three plugs, bada bing, bada boom. It looks amazing. Yeah, see, that's, to me, like, people can argue about point source light and flat light and flat light's better. And it's like, yeah, but I don't want to look at it, right? I want to enjoy my reef tank. I'll tell you what, man. There's a huge, huge gap that I think 95.9% of the hobby is missing between what sounds good on paper, like convincing somebody on paper, and what actually works in practice. On, on, on paper, yes, it sounds great to have a CO2 scrubber and have all these, you know, programming modes to, um, you know, hypermile your, your reef tank. But at the end of the day, does it really work in practice? I could tell you no. I could tell you it really, really doesn't because I've gone down all those paths and had more trouble, more headaches from overdoing it and overcompensating it than just mastering the fundamentals and just kind of pretty much doing it like we did 20 years ago, just with modern equipment. Good examples for me is my protein skimmer is, I think the recommendation for my protein skimmer is probably like a 75 gallon tank, right? And I'm running it on probably 180 gallons. I really want to buy a new skimmer. I do. Uh, I want to buy a new toy. Uh, I want to get one with a manual wiper, right? Um, but then I do my nitrate tests and they're zero. And I'm like, all right, well, so what metric am I going to use to justify this purchase? I don't have anything. Like nothing's telling me I need a bigger skimmer, but I really want one. <laughs> you know? Speaking of protein skimmers, I've always said, you know, when it comes to protein skimmers, like 
no one knows what's an appropriate skimmer. You know, a, a skimmer that is rated for a hundred gallons that actually really works, regardless of the volume of the of the of the you know the body itself and the pump. That skimmer is going to work way better than a skimmer rated for three hundred gallons. That kind of sucks, <laughs> you know. And if you put that one hundred gallon you know uh, rated protein skimmer on a three hundred gallon system, it's going to just be right there with three hundred gallon rated protein skimmer. There is no. There is no data. There is no metric. There is no even real science between what size skimmer you need on a given tank. You know, say you put a put a protein skimmer that's rated for twenty five gallon tanks for a twenty five gallon tank on a heavily you know loaded fish aquarium, like a hundred or two hundred gallons. That heavy protein is going to be so easy to remove by any skimmer. It's not going to get the all the. The, you know, the lighter proteins that a larger proteins camera would get, but it's going to do more than nothing. <laughs> well, yeah, it's going to be so much better. What, I mean, pH will, may go up, right? But what's, uh, what is my tank and experience if I go from 300 liters per hour of air to 600? And I've had big skimmers on equivalent tank volumes, right? I had the ATB skimmer that was a beast on a 180. Um mm-hmm. I've had big skimmers, but now that I've gone back to like a little skimmer for noise factor, I'm kind of like, well, yeah. what What am I, okay, if I pop in one that has twice as much air going into it, what should I expect? Tell me, you know, I mean, uh, what param should I be tracking? I, I've got. This is why I love the Aquavitro division protein skimmers, because it's like, all right, say you have a cone protein skimmer that pulls a thousand liters of air per hour and has a, you know, a one second contact time. Is that a lot better than something much smaller like the Aquavitro that pulls in 500 liters of air per hour, but it has a two second contact time? It's just so much easier to do with the Aquavitro than it is with the hot rod um, ATB style protein skimmer, you know, with just like tons and tons and tons of foam and a huge body and a pump that's going to be very hard to replace, you know, but I, 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 I do think we're very much on the same page when it comes to that. Yeah, it's, I, I'm trying to, you know, take a more analytical approach to some of the things that I just kind of shrugged my shoulders at, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. One being the corals that suddenly, like, why are those corals hard for me now? Uh, And, you know, one of those was like, well, you know, everybody always said mixed reefs are hard. And even last podcast, I was like, I don't get that argument because I don't have that problem. But then I was like, well, I kind of do have that problem, right? Uh, If I'm being humble, it's like, I'm trying to have a softy dominant tank and there's like a whole group of corals that that I struggle with that would be perfect for a soft coral tank. And maybe the problem is, is that I'm really good at growing SPS corals in a softy tank because my par values are very high. Like what would happen if I dropped the par on my tank to that 50 to 150? Maybe those SPS would be less happy but then maybe and maybe the leather corals are like eh i can manage this and then maybe the maybe the discosomas and the rhodactus are like oh this is great and now i've achieved that goal right um you, you saw my softies in my middle coral flat right? yeah they're exposed to super high flow super high light growing right next to acros in this through the side of your eye you know through your um um what do you call that periphery peripheral vision they look like stony corals. 
They don't look like junky little stringy finger leather that you're used to seeing, you know, as frags from the fish store. If you're just looking at the acros and through the side of your eye, you're like, oh, there's more stonies over there. And then you look at them real close and you're like, holy crap, that's like Cinularia and Lobophytum and Sarcophyton. And those things are like rigid. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what people should revise in these recommendations, right? Because when you say uh, a softy tank, it's like, no, you put a, put a leather coral at 300 par. It's going to be happy. It's going to be I would used. say that, for, you know, first of all, zoanthids are not soft corals. Zoanthids are zoanthids. Shrooms, yeah. they're not soft corals. They're shrooms. Well, they're yeah, coralomorphs. Yeah, yeah. they're, they're like a whole separate, like, subgroup of hexacorals. And so they're not soft corals. If we're talking about true soft corals, you know, Cinularia, Nephthia, Sarcophyton, Lobophytum, they have closer care requirements to SPS than zoanthids and shrooms. Yeah. Like for sure, bar none. I, I, and if you want them to look good, you got to treat them like it. Not not yeah. like as critical as for acros, but, you know, definitely like give those guys much better conditions and you'll have a much better experience with your soft corals. But it's, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the theme that we're discussing, it was kind of like a learning moment for me to just kind of take a step back and think about it differently. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So give me another one on your end. Um, that's it, man. Overshooting, overcompensating. It, it, it encompasses all the lessons. Whether I'm, I'm, I'm messing around with new testing methods or new trace elements or new lights or extra flow or some new additive. That's, that's how I sum up like everything that I've had to learn and relearn all my lessons over the last, let's say five years, because it wasn't even on my radar yet. I was still making those mistakes, but I didn't realize that it just falled into, Oh, well, if a little bit of calcium is good, let me add it some more. Well, and I mean that, so my coral quarantine is more than just a coral quarantine, right? It's essentially just a little mini reef tank where I can make or break things. And to your point, that's where I'm kind of overshooting things that are mentally just nagging in my head, right? Like, let's not go break the big reef. Let's go. So, you know, I have some of these corals that I've struggled with and I'm downing the par on them and I'm going to start uh, experimenting with some foods, right? Because I'm very skeptical of foods, but at the same rate, yeah, let me, let me try. Maybe, maybe there's something to it. Um, the, I'll, I'll give you another one. I mean, we already talked about the pellet flake thing. That was kind of a learning moment, right? Where it's like, I got a little too excited. It falls and it right over, over falls shooting. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other one that kind of got me thinking was, um, the minimalist live rock thing, right? Which I'm a big fan of. I don't like the wall of rock, but I kind of went very minimal on this tank. And let's see, I've got four different types of angelfish right in there. Uh, I got a copper band. I've got uh, two tangs. And I'm starting to notice that I think these fish might appreciate some more hidey holes, right? And it got me kind of thinking, like, I don't want the wall of rock, but maybe like gluing all these rocks together and, and not really creating as many nooks and crannies for these fish. Um, is that something that is lost, right? Because uh, so I, I have a pair of flame angels and it's a really toxic relationship where he beats the crap. <laughs> he beats the crap out of her all day. And then so when the, the daylight LEDs die down and it's dusk, 
Then he's like, hey, baby, how you doing? You know, and they do their cool. little dance in the upper water column and they spawn. And I'm like, God, you know, there's probably marriages like that, right? Abusive husbands that, you know, whatever. And you I need just some felt, time apart. You need some I, time apart. Yeah. I felt bad for the little flame. And I'm like, man, I wish I had some more hidey holes for that poor little girl. <laughs> or you could add some more, more females. I so debated that too. Around. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in the cichlid keeping days, like I had a frontosa tank and the way I eliminated aggression was removing aquascape, right? Like if there's nothing for the dominant guy to establish a territory, like this is my rock. There was no yeah. rock anymore. And then uh, there was harmony and breeding. So I don't know. But that one got me kind of thinking, like, are we losing something by going minimalist? It might be better for the coral, but is it better for the fish? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, th that falls into like a smaller niche of, um, you know, people who want a lot of fish in their reef tanks. And I feel like nowadays the conversation is certainly dominated by people who have a ton of corals and just a handful of fish. Yeah, I just, again, going back to the Instagram tanks, I see some of these tanks and they're so overpopulated with fish and they've got like the negative aquascape. And I, I kind of wonder like, how does that play out? I mean, when I've seen pygmy angels in the wild, they're darting in and out of rocks constantly. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a, that's a tougher one because you're really trying to establish the balance between enough hidey holes but not too much that you never see the fish true. or obstruct the actual water flow in your tank. Um, but, you know, I, I guess the other thing I've really been trying to manage over the years is I had a, a simultaneous tank crashes happen um, while I was out of the country, um, about 15 years ago. And ever since then, I've been like super gun shy about what can, what can trip up my reef, what can break it. And so I'm just like, just been removing stuff again, the overcompensating and the overshooting of stuff. Like how many things can I take off and still have a take away and still have a really great functioning reef tank? Because every single thing is just another potential point of failure that could create a cascade reaction that leads to tank crashes. I'm happy to say I haven't had any tank crashes since like 2004. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been very lucky. Uh, see, I well, I'm not going to say it, um, but don't say it. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> Murphy's listening, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I, I think about that in everything I design is part of the simplicity. And if you look under my tank, it doesn't look simple because I do do a lot of automation Mm -hmm. But in terms of the actual crap in the water that could fail, that's fairly minimal, right? Um, but, I mean, you know, like we were harping on the Neptune light. You know, I, I'm i not a Neptune hater. I love my Neptune, right? I did a 10% water change yesterday by pushing a button. And to me, and, and Neptune doesn't have, you know, the exclusive. But did you do a 10% water change, really? Did you exchange. really do a 10%? All right, let me revise yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. So for me, a water change, you take water out, you put water in. But if you're adding water at the same time you're taking water, you're also diluting the new water as you're putting water out. Is that a 5% water change now? It's still it, it's still relatively effective, right, based on some of the articles based I've read what? by Randy Holmes Farley and stuff, right? Like they've done some math on it. And especially, you know, depending on – I mean, I, I pull the dirty water out ahead of the clean water. But, yeah, it does mix in the larger tank volume. But – it's, I, I think the, the, the waste factor there is, it's been calculated in and it's, there's still value there. Um, yeah. In my opinion, I don't know. Um, I didn't need to do it because I don't 
for some reason, I suck at having nitrates, even though I actually want nitrates. And that's not a humble brag. Like, I want nitrates. <laughs> a pound of potassium nitrate is $20 for oh, a I, pound I have it. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm hesitant. Right, here's, here's a great yeah. thing. Here's a great thing that kind of ties into the overshooting part. When I got my potassium nitrate, I did the math on how many moles of nitrate was I adding to how much volume and how much that was going to translate to overall PPM. I did the math. I actually did the work, right? And at the end of the day, it's like, all right, I'm going to add this much to the tank and see what happens. And the best thing was just to start small. I started with 10 milliliter additions to a 100-gallon tank, and it was, you know, it, it, it registered, but not very much. And I just very slowly, you know, over a long period of time, figured out like okay i can i can give this tank 50 ml based on my person personal dosage or my concentration that i mixed up and then just also also wait to see how long it takes for the tank to consume that amount you know what have i mean you, have you tested like right after dosing and then 24 hours later so i'm waiting to get some reagents from for the new hana nitrate high range checker yeah because that just sort of came out, but then the reagents were a little bit behind it. So I have the checker, but now I'm waiting to get the reagents to do the real math. Because if you're using, you know, a Red Sea or an IOS or an Elos, it's just like uh, zero sum, a little bit, a lot. That's that's the numbers you get, you know, from just looking at the shades of pink. It's you know, if you look at the pink from the top or in daylight or a slight angle, it's, it changes for the same yeah. particular value. So I'm waiting to to get those Hanna reagents um, to get a little bit more qualitative stuff. But I was, I, I don't want. I mean, I love toys as much as the next person. I feel your pain of being like, oh, I kind of want a new skimmer. I want some some tricky stuff or some new toy to play with. But at the end of the day, I care a lot more about the health of my corals and my tank and the stability. I love new toys, especially when they're uh, going to you know, make some noticeable improvement to how I keep the tank or how the corals look or how the flow is really pushed around the tank. Um, but at the end of the day, man, we were doing this stuff with maxi jets and mag drives and airlift protein skimmers and too much rock and no controllability. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. so I feel like, you know, the whole um, control freak movement and automation, like uh, everything I have is programmable and controllable. Why do I need a second controller? The only caveat is I have, you know, one page of apps on my phone that controls everything, but I can navigate to everything I need to do probably faster than you can within one app. You know what I mean? And it's a firmly white per a first world problem to say, Oh, I don't want to have like three or four or five apps controlling stuff. I'm like, you have ultimate control and programmability over your return prop, your protein skimmer, your, your heater and your light. And you're complaining about having to open up three or four apps. Like, come on, man. Well, and come on. That's not what I use my Neptune for is, uh, I see people having a trident control their calcium reactor that would freak me out, right? Um, mm -hmm. For me, it's disaster aversion, right? Like you talked about going on vacation and tank crashes and all that fun stuff, or, or maybe I was thinking about vacation because I've got a trip coming up, but... Um, did you just take a trip to Colorado recently? I did. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to go to Hawaii, but it's the news has been kind of all over the place and they're like, please don't come. And I'm like, well... <laughs> I won't get my deposit back, you know. Oh yeah. Um, we should go to Palau. I would, man. I would kill to go there. Let's go to, let's go to Palau instead. When, when you know things get better. 
Um, but so I do more disaster recovery or disaster aversion, right? So I use leak detectors and I can say, well, hey, if if you detect water on the floor, you know, like turn all these things off, right? Turn off your auto top off, turn off everything and then send me an alarm, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that I do where it's an if then if this, then that kind of thing. I don't need it to control my calcium. Uh, I have kind of is, if this, then that without a controller. Yeah, and that's where things are going. My know? stuff is IFTT. steampunk. I know, but my stuff is steampunk, analog. Like, I don't have these cascade reactions. My auto top off is gravity fed with float valves. There is no problem. Do you, you know the worst thing that can happen to a float valve is it clogs and it doesn't fill up your tank. There's, I, I, you know, I have used float valve for years. That's the issue. The only issue I've ever come across is it doesn't fill up the tank. Okay, whatever. You have some air bubbles blowing your tank. Just, you know, actuate that float valve a few times and get the water flowing again. It never sticks on, you know, but I also use good float valves. And I yeah. feel like every one of these disaster avoidance techniques can be um, implemented without um, smarts. Because smarts is where you get into trouble and that goes right back to the overshooting and the overcompensation. I'm not saying that there aren't any cases where you want like a bona fide auto top off machine or, or, um, you know, real controllability. And I feel like the controllers, like that's really should be more for commercial spaces. You know, if, if you're growing a ton of corals and your business depends on it and you really have to get that critical level of alkalinity, magnesium, nutrients, whatever, and you need a trident and keep your pH super high, but you have a lot of stuff going on. So you want to have some insurance with a leak detector. Sure. Go for it. But I feel like all average aquarists should not need m most of those features. I feel very strong. I, I'm going to agree with you on that statement that I think the culture now is like it's an essential piece of equipment. For me, it's just another hobby, right? Like the automation, the programming. I get that. Um, There's a guy around the corner here who, who who's like upfront about it. It's like, oh, I have a reef tank so I can have all of yeah. the electronics. It's like the, the total opposite. But he is so honest and upfront and candid about it. And you're like, okay. All right, I get it. You know, you kind of have a reef tank, but then you have this giant control room that has all the bells and whistles that that do everything. You know, that's 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 fine. But uh, you know, I don't know. Just don't come come at me as a full on reefer. Uh, you know, if you have all this programming stuff, if that's what you're into. You know, if you have a reef tank because you want to do the programming, cool. If you have yeah. programming because you want to do the reefing part, we could talk a little bit more. Well, and that's where I feel like I'm I'm an odd duck because the things that are actually maintaining the water quality and all that is very simplified in my tank. And then I consider myself a recovering SPS addict where like, I'm kind of enjoying. Oh, there's no recovery unless you totally <laughs> give up. You can't. Well, when I went that. over to your studio, uh, when I visited Colorado, I was like, damn it. You know, I got to get you some of the hoax. Am I, I got to get, I don't, you I don't have a tank for them. I, I, I that's what I'm going oh, no, back the hoax and forth on. It's super easy, man. I have it in my you know medium energy environment. I just cannot believe how happy and fuzzy it, it and, and how much it grows. I have a spot for a blue coral because I got this one little pillar, and I've got uh, the Jason Fox flame on one end, and on the opposite end is the orange digitata. And right in the middle, I'm like, oh, I could put one more acro here. Oh, if you take the hoaxamai, you have to take the immortal tort. Ah, oh, see, here we go. <laughs> the rabbit hole begins. But the immortal tort, you can put like lower down, and it'll, it'll catch yeah. up. It'll catch up.
No, but it's, you know, the the things that are keeping everything healthy is very simple crap. Like, I don't want a CO2 scrubber. I don't want a Trident. I, I think they're cool. And if that's your, if that's your thing, like, I that's want, awesome. I'm more disaster recovery, trident. you know? I want yeah, standalone well. Trident. I'm okay with playing with one machine, but a machine that has to talk to another machine, that has to talk to a router, that has to, you know, talk to an app. You're just, that's a multiple levels of stuff, man. If they made a standalone Trident, I would just be first in line. I just feel like, I mean. On one tank, not on all the tanks, but on one tank, just to get a little bit more of that data. I wouldn't feel like it was a necessity, but I feel like it would inform my reef aquarium experience. It wouldn't transform what I do, but it would help really just like even out the edges. I think in your shoes, right, it totally would be an interesting data point to throw in, right? Yep. For me. Standalone, standalone Trident uh, would be first in line. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I <laughs> took out some wind out of your sails. But no, I, you it- actually dived right into the essence of it. Um. I was going to go into like specific examples, but you actually hit it right on the head about how a lot of it is tied to just wanting to tweak or wanting to just, you know, find something wrong or something to do. And it's like, we get in our own way, right? Uh, I I think you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, the Um, overshooting, overcompensation related to everything has been... I wouldn't say a lifelong lesson because I, you know, the first half was actually learning the basics and the fundamentals and the corals and the gear. But the last five to ten years has been learning how I'm screwing up by overdoing it. Pretty yeah, much. and me like again, it's like, well, the things I shrug my shoulders about, like maybe I shouldn't shrug my shoulders and ask why, right? And 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 get in get into it because not that I need to solve these magic riddles for myself of like. This is why I struggle with disc- uh, red discosomas now. It's like, well, no, it's just fun. It's kind of fun to figure out yeah. the riddle, right? Like, oh, absolutely. You know that, what that, it was? That's, dude, I don't think I, I don't think there's another hobby like reef aquariums. I really don't. You can dive into the history, the biology, the chemistry, the physics, the technology, and the intersection of all of those. I, I, I'm never going to be done. <laughs> I will never be done doing this. You know, once I, you know, get to the point where I'm like spawning corals, I'm like, all right, how do I get the most success rate? Or how do I cross different corals? Or, or how do I stimulate more fecundity? It's just, it's never going to end. It's, oh, you'll that, laugh, that, that, right? Um, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah, there's, um, we're, we're always learning and we're always going to be learning. You know, you have, uh, you know, fluorescent protein infected corals that people call grafted i'm actually going to be doing some actual coral grafts pretty soon on video but the whole you know infection of protein and different types of corals like that's just a whole nother world you know why do you have uh acana canada with you know if you have a huge colony some of it can be green some of it can be gray some of it can be orange what is happening there is that genetic is that part of the tissue you know the the rabbit hole of reef keeping is lifelong and oh, that's why just, 20 oh, years in, I'm not done. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I wouldn't say I'm warming up, but I'm really finally, especially acknowledging and recognizing the whole overcompensation aspect of it is leading me to more success. Just be more tempered with my movements and be more, you know, mindful of the changes that I make is leading me to more success. I love tweaking, but I need to tweak slower. That's it. I, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say because you just 
that was like the best conclusion to this discussion right there. Imaginary mic drop. <laughs> My mic is on the stand, so I can't <laughs> drop it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, I, I want people to know that there is no end to what this hobby is about. No, You're and- always learning, and that's that's the fun part. And it's if you get to a point where you think you know everything or you know it all and you've never read a single book, you know, that's sad. That's yeah. sad because, you know, like Bruce Lee said, be an empty, be, you know, be like water, be an empty cup so you can be filled. Cause if your cup is filled, then what, what's left to do? I well, totally bastardized that quote. Yeah. I was like, you, I you get what I was saying. A different way, but I get exactly what you were saying. <laughs> um, and, and the other part is like, we, we get into our get off our lawn stuff and everything. And I really appreciated that we sort of talked about the poxes in our reef tanks, but I also thought, man, it's like, you know, we come off some, or I, I, I'm going to speak for myself. Like I'll come off very opinionated about stuff, but man, I am the easiest guy to change my mind. Like have a beer with me at a reef conference and change my mind. Cause I love when my mind is changed. Right. And I love I'm learning. I'm sure we need to do reef therapy in, in, in person and just like kind of do this just for fun. Just have, like have a little get up or we have a little booth and people schedule sessions of like 10 <laughs> minutes, you know, Bring me a beer. Let's talk for ten minutes. Let's talk about what's ailing you, and then we'll you know on to the to the next patient. <laughs> there you go. Let us know in the comments if that's something you think would be fun at some of the reef conferences because uh, I think we can make that happen. Yeah, but after like the sixth beer and six. Oh, we don't patient. have to drink every beer. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> my advice might get worse and worse. So cool. All right, Mark. Man, I feel I feel better. I feel therapeutified. I'm sure that's not a word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, we got it out there. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Um, If you're watching this on the ReTherapy YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe. If you're listening to this on your favorite podcatcher, make sure to rate us and share with your friends, man. This is some really good, just legit reef talk. And we need a lot more of it in a reef aquarium hobby. So, And I uh, did capture some questions, so we'll save them for the next round because I think we we definitely – you know, we had a lot to say on this one and I, I don't want to make it too long of a podcast, but, uh, we will go back there, right? Like we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. cover some of those. No, every, few, every few sessions, I think we'll drill through a few, you know, yeah. questions and, and interact with you guys. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to respond to some of the comments as well. I need to, I need to do my part in that as well. So I've been focused on content creation, not interaction, but, uh, you know, I go back and read almost every single comment on all the, the, the properties. So with that, I think we'll conclude this session of reef therapy and we'll catch you guys on the next one. See you guys on the next one. Thank you for listening. All right. Later guys.